Welcome to episode 39 of Save Trust Cinema, the podcast where exploitation and exploration come together. It is I, your guide through trash cinema, everyone's favorite dumpster boy, Cayman Darty. And on today's episode, we're getting super ooey, super gooey, and super nostalgic when we cover the 2002 Eli Roth Cole classic, Cabin Fever. But before we get into that, let me introduce you to the two bozos joining me on today's episode. Her propensity towards wanton mayhem and all things spooky would make Marie Laveau look like Marie Callender, the queen of NOLA herself, Jackie fucking Tracy. Addy man, thanks for having me. Uh, I am super fucking stoked about this episode. I don't know who Marie Laveau is. What, what does that mean? I'm just kidding. Please. Marie I made like a specific New Orleans joke just for you, and then you try to spoil it. You know, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, next up, he's got a beard, he's got a pressure washer, and by God, he knows how to use both for maximum effect to get things to <clears throat> spray. My good friend, Bennett Thompson. Everything's lubed up tonight. Let's just make that very clear. The pressure, she's high. What is it? What was the name of our pressure washing company, Bennett? I don't think we actually dialed in a name. I think we just uh, lost on a tangent when we were cleaning a giant shoe. Yeah. Yeah, sounds about right. Before we jump in, let's do a little quick housekeeping. We'd love it if you rate and reviewed the podcast on your podcast app of choice. Don't forget to be on the show by submitting movie recommendations or by being a guest host by submitting movie recommendations and random shit and whatever to savetrashcinema.gmail.com or you can DM us on all socials at Save Trash Cinema. Make sure to check out last week's episode when we learned some shit about the notorious video nasties and how, if left unchecked, the government can censor literally anything and everything that they choose to do. We'll be continuing to release mini-sodes, crossover episodes, interviews, and even game shows. So keep your eyes peeled for some exciting content coming down the pipeline. Now, without housekeeping out of the way, why don't we jump in to a little overview of Cabin Fever. Pancakes! Pancakes! No pancakes. Pancakes! No pancakes! Cabin Fever is a 2002 horror film written and directed by Eli Roth. Now, everyone should know who he is, but just in case you don't, Eli Roth is best known for helping usher in the era of quote-unquote torture porn. Uh, with films such as Hostel 1 and 2. He's also known for making Grindhouse films, such as uh, Thanksgiving, which was a trailer in the Grindhouse films. Um, he also did a remake of an old Italian film starring Keanu Reeves called Knock Knock. Probably heard of that one. Or a homage to the cannibal films, such as Cannibal Holocaust and Cannibal Ferox, with his version, Green Inferno. Now, the story goes as such... A group of college students on vacation in the woods unwittingly become infected with a skin-eating disease after encountering a crazed hermit who's asking for help. Tensions rise even higher after the crazed townsfolk catch wind of their affliction and seek to end the pandemic before it begins. 
the film stars Ryder Strong from Oh Boy Meets World. Yeah. Because uh, nothing screams, that? nothing screams body horror film and infectious disease like the fucking guy from Boy Meets World. <laughs> Not a disconnect whatsoever. That's all right. It also stars Jordan Ladd from uh, Tarantino's Death Proof, Never Been Kissed, and Hostile Part 2. Serena Vincent from Not Another Teen Movie, Power Rangers Lost Galaxy. Come find out she was the Pink Ranger in some random season of Power Rangers. Uh, as well as an extreme horror film called Murder Set Pieces, which, as crazy as it sounds, and should be a shock to literally no one at this point, I actually have a signed copy of that oh, film here we go. sitting on my shelf. Is it it's, DVD or Blu-ray? It's a DVD. Okay, there's a lot about this movie, and one day we might dig into the history of what Murder Set Pieces is in and why this movie is so fucking bizarre. But uh, needless to say, I've got a copy. It's one of my prized possessions. And then lastly, in the film, we have Joey Kern, who's best known from Super Troopers. Uh, he's uh, one of the boys in the car during the schnozberry scene. Yeah, you probably remember that guy. He couldn't pull over any further. He pulled over. He can't pull over any further. As well as, I don't know if you guys know this, he was in The Sasquatch Gang, starring Justin Long and directed by the dude who created Napoleon Dynamite, which if you haven't seen this movie, obviously we're never going to cover it here on the show, but go check it out. It's... Exactly what you think it'd be. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, the film itself, it runs for an hour and 33 minutes and spots a Rotten Tomatoes score of 62%. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of shocking, honestly. I, look, I feel like... Is that the norm? Like you know better than I do about <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes and where they scale for, you know, horror movies, gore movies. Is that the norm, 60%? It's, it's interesting. It's interesting... I don't know how to explain it, but basically some movies get really bad scores. Some movies get really high scores and everyone's wrong about both. So it's the internet, unless it's aligned with my score, then you're right. What's your score? High. Are we getting ahead of ourselves? Yeah, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. My score is high. It's fine. Now, this is where things get a little bit tricky. There's two versions of this film. There is the standard theatrical cut as well as an unrated cut. Weirdly enough, there's actually scenes in the theatrical cut that are not included in the unrated cut. The times almost end up being exactly the same. You get a little bit more, you get a little bit less, you get a less story, a little bit more gore. It really doesn't matter. I, regardless, I think whichever version you watch is going to be good. Now, there's other things as well here. You can watch the film streaming right now through Stars, which... I don't know anyone who has stars, but you can watch <laughs> it through stars or you can rent it through most services. Now, if you want to get a physical copy, you're in luck. You can currently snag a copy on Blu-ray right now for $10 off of Amazon. So there's that. Now, here we, get into the, here we get into the world of all things wonky as shit. All right. So Cabin Fever would spin off two sequels. First sequel is called Cabin Fever 2 Spring Fever. Now, bear with me here. This film is directed by Ty fucking West. If you don't know who Ty West is, you probably know the two movies that have literally made him probably one of the biggest names in horror right now, and that would be X and Pearl. Yes. Uh, now, I'm a personally huge fan of Ty West. I think he's an amazing director. This movie, Cabin Fever 2, Spring Fever, is dog shit. Bad. It is the worst movie he's ever made. Highly recommend not seeing that. I also highly recommend not watching the other sequel, 
which is just cabin fever, patient zero, we dropped a number. Okay, don't look at me like that, Jackie. Okay, it's got some funny moments. It's pretty trashy, but it's got some funny moments. All right, fair, fair, That's fair. All that movie exists as well if you want to see it. It honestly, looking it up, is actually kind of difficult to track down. So getting a physical copy might be difficult, but you should be able to still stream it through rental. Um, not really sure if it's streaming anywhere, but if you want to do that, you can. Now here comes the last one. We have a remake of this movie. It came out mm -hmm. in 2016 under the title Cabin Fever. Now, I think the two of you on this episode with me can back me up when I say this movie is somehow worse than the other two sequels by like six and a half miles. This movie is awful, awful. It horrendous. is horrendously bad. Um, I think the thing is, and it's it's very important to say, is that Cabin Fever 2022, not 2016, you've got to make sure that you're choosing the right one here because the first one almost is a black comedy with lots of gore. The remake is a horror film that lacks any sort of soul whatsoever and just sucks. So black soul for sure. There's a couple of good death scenes. Couple sure. of, couple of decent death scenes. And it does a good make up for character development and a way yeah. to tell the story properly. It, it does a good job of like trying to do the same thing that the first movie did in terms of like the story itself with changing just a few things. So like good on them for trying to stay true. Here's the thing. This movie doesn't need to be remade. It still is great just the way it is. And in a lot of movies, when we remake them should be because you're trying to make them better. There's really no reason to do this. I would say if you want to go watch a remake of a horror film, go check out like Suspiria. I think that does a fantastic job of honoring the original vision where I feel like this cabin fever has zero soul at all and sucks. So if you're looking to watch this movie, for some reason you haven't seen it or you're going to want to watch it again, make sure that you're choosing the 2002 film, not the 2016. Let me get that clear. <laughs> Did I do a good job explaining how bad? Or find out the hard way, you know, just yeah, yeah. take a gamble, roll the <laughs> dice. And yeah. Let That's... us know what you think in the comments below. Yeah, Or don't watch it and don't leave me a comment. No, watch it. That's watch, watch 2000. Watch O2. Yes, watch O2. Well, guess what? We we covered all that. You know what you're getting into at this point, and you want to hear more. You want the jokes. You want the gore. You want us to talk about boobs and more gore. We're going to do that. So with the overview out of the way, why don't we take some time to discuss some initial thoughts? We're going to start off with Jackie. There's a reason. Jackie has been screaming at me for the last, I don't know, what, six months now probably? Uh, probably three years. Three years. Yeah, three it's years. Long, three However years. long this podcast has been going, guess what? Jackie's been screaming at me for. We're 39 episodes in, and guess what? We're finally fucking here. Jackie was the one that brought us the movie today. Jackie's the one that wanted to cover it. So, Jackie, you tell me. You tell Bennett. You tell the fucking audience. Why Cabin Fever and why you think this is trash cinema? I've always considered myself to be a horror aficionado until I met you, Cayman. You are one of only two people in my entire life that has surpassed my love for horror movies. And so when oh, I meet you doing the podcast, I know, I know. I don't know who the other guy is. He could be dead. Who knows? But when this thing on? you were doing a podcast, uh, the one and only movie that I wanted to do first and foremost was my very favorite horror movie. And I, I do run the gamut on horror movies, I think, generally speaking. I love all of them from trash to elevated quotation marks to across the board. 
And of course, I love The Exorcist and The Shining and, you know, everything that everyone's supposed to love and Midsummer and Cabin Fever has been since it came out in 2002. And still to this day is my very favorite horror movie. It was the first DVD I ever owned. Um, and I stand by this movie in full force. I love Eli Roth. I love everything he does as a human being. I don't appreciate his other movies nearly as much as I appreciate this one. I think this was his fucking, like, uh, magnum opus. Like, this this movie is glorify it's it's just it's wonderful in every aspect there's so many things that people don't take into consideration about this movie and how smart it really is but campy and gory and well acted the cinematography is good this has been my favorite horror movie through and through so i have been begging you to do this and i'm so excited to finally get to shout about it well I'm glad that you're here to cover it with me and I'm glad that we're finally doing it. And hopefully this episode does the film honor Bennett. Why don't you step up to the plate? Tell us your initial thoughts going in to cabin fever. I tried to watch it again, just to think of what I hadn't seen it before. Like, you know, that idea of what if I'd never watched this movie? It's impossible. This movie has it's top to bottom. So good. All the little details, the acting, like Jackie said, is phenomenal. It's the little things that are hard to describe. Uh, you get a lot of character introduction in the first five minutes without a lot of dialogue. You kind of know who these people are, the way Eli tells this story and the twists that take you one way, which happen in a lot of movies with twists that they feel convoluted or too much. And then you just get back on the right path. But the story doesn't change. The linear nature of how everybody's getting infected doesn't change. But uh, the, the red herrings and the like in this movie are absolutely uh, on par with any of the best films out there. It's a fun ride. The score is amazing. It's well paced. The characters are fantastically awful. Um, it's it's a well done horror movie period. It's a well done movie. Uh, cinematically, I just absolutely love this film have for forever. And yeah, I, I can't imagine anybody saying Eli Roth has any better films than this. If you study the man, you watch all these movies that he's done and he's had a lot of influence. He's probably had more commercial success with hostile, but uh, this movie by far and away is just a better film. It's one of my favorites. Oh, all right. I will say really quick. I'll add a lot of my like, big notes to the end of the movie because I feel like there's so many like aspects of this movie that are missed that I want to save to the end, but sure. Holy well, shit. Fantastic. Well, um, for me, this was probably my favorite film ever when I was in eighth grade. Um, I actually some, I don't know how I pulled this off or managed to do this, but I definitely convinced my uncle to buy this movie for me because it was rated R and I couldn't buy it myself because I wasn't 17 yet. So I convinced my uncle to get it absolutely scared shitless. Like I've had nightmares, <laughs> nightmares for years over like two scenes in particular over this film. I love this movie. I, I know we, we're, we're, we've already spoiled the ending of the episode this early on, but look, man, if you've never seen this film, it's tr over 20. It's, it is at this point of drinking age. Okay, so if you haven't right. seen this movie yet, then spoiler alert, it's fucking fantastic. Go watch it before you come back here and finish this episode. This movie fucks. We're about to get real gross, though. <laughs> so thank you for the both of you for entertaining and indulging us with your initial thoughts. But why don't we get the show on the road? Cabin Fever, everyone. And now, our feature presentation. 
The film opens to a view of the mountains. We see a disheveled, somewhat crazy-looking man walking through the woods, and he's carrying a dead fox in his hands. He passes by dog laying on the ground. He walks over to the dog and nudges it with the fox to entice it for its presumable supper. Unfortunately, that dog is dead. And not only is that dog dead, he flips that son of a bitch over and it just opens up into a gooey, oozing, disgusting, just fucking pus-filled innards. And then we cut. That's it. Opens like a book full of jello. It is gross. Super gross. <laughs> uh, uh, just uh, if, if, like, look, if you haven't seen this movie and you're like, fuck it, I'm just going to listen to this episode, or you've seen it, you just don't really remember it. Let me just explain it to you like this. Imagine covering your hands with honey and then just doing like an accordion effect. Just, that's exactly what happens when that dog gets rolled over. It's gross. We cut to a girl and she's yelling out the back of a truck about how finals are over. She screams in the little kid's face and tells him not to go to college. It is a fucking scam, which is accurate. Uh, if you're underage listening to this, you shouldn't be. But if you are, don't go to college. It's a fucking scam. It's a racket. <laughs> it is a racket. Go work at a fucking fast food joint or something. I don't know what to tell you how to live your life, man. I, everything's on fire Kids right now. Days fucking cares so they drive off in a blazer we get introduced to our first one of our first main characters and and without a doubt either your favorite character in the film or your least favorite character of the film there's really no in between here and his name is bert bert, now, bert he's asked for a pack of cigarettes and he says i ain't got none huh? jokes on everyone else because he's got a hidden pack in his hand he's wearing a hat that says f you on the back i really want that hat and he's got a game boy advance in his lap because this is 2002 <laughs> and game boy advance was the thing that everyone had now i want to point something out here this is a fun fact about bert bert is wearing a sweatshirt through the entire film that sweatshirt says i quote ripe on 61304 now, I'm going to ask the two of you, do you know what that date means? No, I, I do not. No, I thought Jackie? I saw him wearing a different shirt. I actually shirt. don't. I didn't. And I've, I've, I've met the student. Half my notes are about James Bell. So, yeah. Yeah. Let me just tell you what that shirt means. That is actually Mary Kate Olson. Mary Kate and Ashley Olson's uh, birthday for when they uh -huh. turned to 18. Checks out. Gross. Checks out. Checks out. For his character that checks out completely. So he's wearing a shirt that has the date on the day in which that it would be legal to have sex with the Olsen twins. Who so on wardrobe made that decision? I do. It, look, it is honestly spot on. And let me also just say that I would probably wear both that shirt and that hat. Ironically, maybe, maybe the hat, not so much ironically, but that sweatshirt, though. I feel like I get away with wearing that sweatshirt. I absolutely. Oh, yeah, do. I think it's it's easier for for women to yeah. wear sweatshirts and make jokes about when another female is turning eighteen. That's I don't know. I'm Still a twin. I feel not. like it's fair that I get to wear it. Why does nobody ever thinks about the twins? Uh, apparently, Bert thinks a lot about the twins. Oh. Our uh, our our quintuplet. Which I suppose that's what five people. It's five of them. Five people yeah. roll in. I it's right. our college kids. They all fucking roll into a, a dingy old gas station 
in the middle of bumfuck nowhere, right? And outside the gas station, there is a kid on a swing. That kid, his name is Dennis. Mm. So Ryder Strong walks up, he sits down the bench next to him, and he says, put it there, pal, because he's Ryder fucking strong. And this is essentially just the, uh, this is what is what happens to his character after Boy Meets World ends. He also presents, like, the wrong hand. Like, he puts it this way instead of going that way. Like, it's very awkward. He's terrible. Ryder Strong, go back to whatever you do right Boy now. Boy Meets Handshake, not doing well. Boy, is he part of Boy Meets Girls? Has anyone seen that show at all? No, haven't no, seen it. Either. Wouldn't know. Uh, Didn't like BMW. Either way. Oh my God, I called a BMW. No. Either way, Ryder Strong gets bit by Dennis because Dennis is a fucking Looney Tune kid um, and fucking crazy. <laughs> and so we end up getting his dad, uh, whose name is Tommy. He runs out the building and he says, No one can sit next to Dennis. So Bert's like, hey, motherfucker, why don't you put up a fucking sign that says don't sit next to Dennis? If that sign actually gets put up later in the film, it's funny as shit. <laughs> so then here comes Jeff. We get introduced to Jeff now from full force. Jeff is our douchey bro. It's kind of stereotypical. You have to have a douchey bro in apparently every friend's group. My douchey bro is named Bennett Thompson. He was in a fraternity oh at the University of Alabama. Mm. I, I mean, I, if you're equating me to Jeff, we've got qualms. Just say, just say the Alabama phrase real quick for me, boss. Roll Tide. Yep, douchebag. There we go. Well, Jeffy yeah. Jeff over here. This motherfucker threatens a wall. A roll Tide. Dude. So what ends up happening next is all the kids go in. These college kids they roll into and they meet the shopkeeper who looks like Santa Claus. They make some jokes back and forth. They talk about box piss. They talk about Shirley Temple collectors bottles. You know, just normal things that you would talk to. But he's a, he's effeminate too, right? Like oh, there's a thing to the Santa like grandpa gas station gas station cashier that's very effeminate. God bless that beautiful man. The big thing here is there's a rifle that's just sitting behind the shelf, and so they ask him what the rifle's for. Now, I'm not going to tell you what he the says. First thing asked about what the fox bus is for. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you apparently you're going to make a lot of friends that are foxes. Well, that's for foxes. Oh, well, as for foxes. Well, yes. What's the gun for? Well, the gun is used the gun for, for Cayman. It's, uh, it's, it's a bad word that I'm not going to say. So in the first five minutes of this film, they do indeed... Uh, say a bad word about people of color. We're not going to say it on the podcast, but you can probably figure it out. I'm referencing this point specifically because it does come back in later in the film. I'm not just including this. If this was not necessary to include, we wouldn't, but hold on to that little nugget of information for probably another 45 minutes. We'll get there. And it comes with an eerie sound and a bunch of looks from the, the newly found cast of people Which, coming into the gas station. So it sets it up for ooh, discomfort. Well, you're in the middle of the fucking woods in Mountain Town. Yeah. And you go into a, a creepy fucking gas station and a dude drops the N-word. Of course, you're going to be like, well, that's kind of apropos for what and is this. Yeah. It's so what the gun is intended for, too, no less. Like, oh, that's oh, oh. I think yeah. I, I want to leave quickly. Yes. And so guess what? They do. They leave quickly, but not before Bert gets stopped because that piece of shit tried to steal a Snickers bar. Why? The Presumably nougat. they're all going to college. They got the money, but guess what? He didn't do it for that. He did it for the nougat. I did it for the nougat. That's what they say. 
So they all head off and they make it to the cabin out in the woods. And this cabin's in the middle, like I said, bum fuck nowhere. Right. So they pull up in, they take all the shit in. I'm assuming that this film takes place in Oregon. And the reason really? I say that is because they are drinking Arrogant Bastard from Stone Brewing. Yeah. Which in 2002, this is obviously before the big independent brewery scene boomed and you can get Arrogant Bastard literally anywhere. Uh, I'm just assuming this is in the Pacific. Here we go. A collision of worlds for Cayman here where the beer world collides with the horror world. I would not have thought of that now, but you're right. 2002, probably not as easy to access Arrogant Bastard out east. So, okay. So a couple of things about that really quick. They had a map of Cincinnati, which was weird. So I was thinking it was Ohio. It was filmed in North Carolina. But quickly, the Arrogant Bastard thing, like, Every time Arrogant Bastard is in the screen, so is Jeff. I've noticed. Oh, see, yeah. this is why I have smarter people on this podcast than me because I fucking missed all of this shit outside of the fact that they were drinking Arrogant Bastard, which is a great beer. So, so this point, Paul walks up. He tells them they're all going to go out to the lake and go for a swim. So he kicks open the door and walks in on Paul and Marcy, or excuse me, Jeff and Marcy um having sex and then they essentially kick him out go tell him to go have fun but guess what jeff looks up and who's looking through the window obviously it's our favorite pervert bert pervert love pervert looking with binoculars no less from four feet away with binoculars (laughs) bert is is he like just love i love the fact that bert is he's got the name bert which already is like that's a pervert name (laughs) <laughs> that's just look, look if you're out there listening right your now your name, if you like if you're out there listening right now and your name's Bert change your fucking name <laughs> if you're out there listening your name is Keith Drive off a cliff and fuck you. (laughs) In these first 10 minutes, we've really been introduced to who these characters are without a lot of unnecessary dialogue or exposition, right? We know Jeff is like the jock guy with the horny chick, the hot couple that are going to have sex, uh, smoke weed, drink beer, and otherwise get in all kinds of you're going to die scenarios based on horror anthologies. Uh, Bert's the the lovable, gullible idiot that's probably going to do something stupid. You can see it written on paper. Obviously, Paul is fucking Paul. Uh, you get the nice girl. Um, so you're, you're already starting the trope of the lineup for what we're going to experience for the rest of the movie in a very natural way without too much expositional dumping. You would think so, but I have so many notes on Bert over here. It's not even funny. Fucking let loose, dog. Or don't. It's fine. Oh, so I, okay. Yeah. So I think that like Jeff, yes, is like the, the douchebag or whatever. And his girlfriend is a slut and that's fine. We get that. And, um, Hey, no slut shaming here. Karen, hey. Karen, yeah, no, definitely. We love our sluts on this show. Karen, Karen is the nice girl, but, and, and Paul's the protagonist that things just happened to, but Bert, while he is the comedic relief, he is also oftentimes one of the most intelligent people Mm. in this movie fair too yeah Yeah. and he's also like the catalyst of pretty much every single event that takes place in this movie bert is the reason why he is a moron but he's so put together he's generally on top of stuff and he is which i do love i do love the the subversion of expectations with bert and speaking of bert he finds a gun 
right off the bat, like Bert's are tend to do, or to Bert's fine guns. Just what's like, he gonna do with that gun, Cayman? He's gonna go. He's as he says, he's gonna go shooting and pissing and to kill some squirrels. Which, what kind like, of squirrels, Cayman? Just why? Fucking, why would he kill squirrels? Just for fun. Because they're gay. Oh, That's God what he said. We also one of we, I counted at least six. Uh, yeah, your gay references. Okay, so to I the really do have in this I film. Two thousand two. Like it's very much a product of its time. To also point out that they do drop the R word um, very early on, I mean, a couple times within the first five minutes, we get, and you can tell, like, look, this movie was made in the early two thousands. It's going to be offensive in certain ways, mostly with just the derogatory language that gets used through pretty much just the beginning of the film. It does drop off as we go on, and and we'll circle back to some of that later, um, and you'll understand reasons. But yes, this movie is is early two thousands film. I'm sorry, but it works. It works to make you uncomfortable, right? Yeah, Again, well, we're, today, we're not in any yeah. scary monsters or anything like that yet. All didn't of a sudden, make anyone uncomfortable back in two thousand. Oh no, not at all. That's the thing is this film will make you uncomfortable for certain reasons and whatnot. But either way, that's is what it is, and you've been fair warned at this point. This movie is going to do things, and it's going to get worse, more yeah. so in terms of everything else. So. What happens next? Paul and Karen. We got Ryder Strong's name's Paul and Karen. Karen's Jordan Ladd. She's the the innocent. She she is what the prototypical final girl, right? Two of them are laying out on a raft out in the middle of this lake. She's hanging out. She decides to kiss him, see if he's a good kisser. Oh, love interest. Ew, fuck you, Karen. This is Ryder fucking Strong's movie. Not is really. it? I mean, More he has Bert's absolutely movie. zero game. Oh no, dude! I think it's the kids say. I just found this out. Did you? There's a thing called the Riz. Apparently, it's apparently what kids call game now. So if you're listening to this and you're a Zoomer, go fuck yourself. That is a stupid <laughs> fucking word. Okay, I hate you. So at this point, Bert goes in. He decides to light a massive fire and then decides to leave it just to go shoot some shit because it's perfect. Also, might I add, he lit the fire around the campfire that was already built. He's so there cool. Was an actual campfire. He lit a ring around the campfire and set it on fire. Everyone's got a Bert in their life, and I think we should respect those guys just slightly more. Or not. Honestly, probably don't respect them any more than you already do. Or don't. Uh, or don't respect them. However much respect you have for them, make sure it's lower than you had already. Fair enough. So, here we go. Bert stumbles across, he's shooting some squirrels, and he shoots something he thinks is a squirrel. Unfortunately for him, it's not. It's the crazy wood hermit dude that we saw at the beginning of the film. Now, that crazy hermit dude, he ain't looking so hot. And not just because he's been living in the woods for God knows how long and he's crazy as shit. It's because his flesh is literally melting off of his face. We're getting more ooze and we're getting more goos, okay? Here we go. So... Bert tells him to go fuck off or he will put another bullet in him and end him there. Bert makes a stupid decision of not ending that man's life on the spot. Mm. And the homeless guy takes off. Bert books ass back to the cabin. So he rolls in. Jeff comes out. Here comes Marcy. They're screaming at Bert. Bert, you stupid fucking idiot. Why did you set this awful fire? This is the worst fire that's ever been set. Bert just laughs. 
and is like, ha, 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 didn't just shoot a random guy in the woods. <laughs> and then they go about their evening. So they sit down at night and they tell a story. The story is coming from Ryder Strong. He tells a story about his hometown, a trauma that he went through as a child. It basically goes as such. An employee of a bowling alley gets disgruntled with all the other employees of said bowling alley and holds them hostage, ties them up in a circle, then goes around with a ball-peen hammer and bashes all of their brains in, one by one, while they watch each other die. He then takes a hatchet and he chops off all of their limbs and then bowls with that limb. Now, the story doesn't end there. There's one more little thing that happens. It's about a bald, creepy fucker that gives you your shoes at the bowling alley. That bald, creepy fucker always had a disgusting child molester-like smile on his face. <laughs> and when the police arrive at the bowling alley, they see that the head has been returned as a bowling ball and is floating in the return lane with the smile still on its face. Now, here's the thing. That head, that head's very important for a couple of reasons. First reason is that there's a crew member named Robert Jones who worked on the film. And as they finished shooting the film, he, as a lot of people do in the industry, they take home essentially a prop from the film as kind of like a commemorative thing of like, I worked on this movie. A lot of the crew does this. And then they take home something as like, this is my trophy from filming said film, right? So this guy, his thing was he actually got the severed head from this particular scene. So this guy, Robert Jones, he's driving down the road late at night. Their film is wrapped. He's going back to his hotel room. He's got the severed head in the passenger seat. Gets pulled over for speeding. Police pull up. They see the severed head in the seat next to him. All of these cops show up, surround the vehicle, hold him at gunpoint, okay, until they can go up to find out that the severed head is actually just fake. And the guy's like, dude, I'm in the fucking special effects props like department. Like, this is for a fucking movie. So, this severed head got this guy almost literally killed. So, um, I did not know that. What I did think I knew was that head was a replica of the director, Eli Roth's head incorrect convinced of that for 21 years now cayman well guess yeah. what you're wrong found that, that out head tonight. yeah that head doesn't actually belong to eli roth it belongs to one of his two brothers the other brother actually shows up at the end of the film in another scene um now here's the thing they all look the exact fucking same exactly identical Huge, creepy fucking smile massive eyebrows These adam roth gabriel roth they look more identical than my twin identical brother and i do like by i did not know 21 years i thought that bowling ball was eli roth's head and i had never known that he had a brother until now never well Eli Roth does show up here in just a second. But before we get to that, let me tell you a true story. The bowling alley story that Paul tells around the campfire is actually based on a real-life quadruple homicide that occurred in Boston in 1980. A former employee, Brian Dyer, of the bowling alley broke in and killed four of the employees. He bound their hands, three with handcuffs, the fourth with his belt, then bludgeoned them all with a bowling pin, before shooting them all once in the head. Three of them died at the scene, while one would die later in the hospital. Dyer was eventually caught and sentenced to four consecutive life terms and died in prison in 2011. But was he a good bowler? 
I mean, shit, if you're working in a bowling alley, presumably you're not bad. It's a very okay. obscure Fatal Instinct reference that I very hope, few people will get people unless you're an Armando Sante fan. Oh my god, Ben, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Jackie, what were you saying? Um, no, I was just excited to hear you tell that story because I was like ready for it. And I'm like, I know this. but yeah, Well, as we always say, Save Trash Inma is the place for, for education. Last week, we literally discussed the entire history of the video nasties with someone who's an expert on the video nasties. So, cool. so, so cool. you know, I'm, I'm just saying, if you want to learn some shit, just hang out at STC. We'll teach you things that don't matter. Cayman's <laughs> wicked smart. That's what he's trying to say. <laughs> wicked, wicked smart. So then here comes up. A random motherfucker out of the woods. Now, this random motherfucker actually is Eli Roth. Okay. His name is Justin, a.k.a. Grim. He's a pothead. He's a cool dude. So, How do we know he's cool? What gives it away in his facial like features that he's cool? He got into Berkeley at the X Games, brother. <laughs> oh, she to Boston. We need we need Boston might just like drop in for this one line to be like, I got into Berkeley for fucking X Games. We can piss the Dunkin' Donuts and Apple, brother. <laughs> He's it's one of the listening. stupidest goatees I've ever seen oh, in no, not just terrible. film, but real oh, life. Yeah, it's literally about a half inch wide up. strip from the bottom or top of his lip down past his chin. I don't know, maybe two it's inches. So it's cute. ridiculous. Rem is so perfect. He looks like the lead singer of Stain, just with hair. <laughs> yeah. And also his dog, who I, I know you're about to get to, Dr. Mambo, is one of the coolest names of an animal ever. Dr. Mambo. Mr. Mojo Ryzen, my next animal was going to be and will be Dr. Mamba. So that's the thing. So along comes Eli Roth with his terrible facial hair and his also terrible Boston accent, real or fake, is terrible. And he has his dog, Dr. Mambo. Now, Dr. Mambo is a German shepherd and also super fucking aggressive. Whole group is like, hey, man, cool that you got a dog. Even cooler, you got weed. Maybe come back, bring your weed, Leave your dog because that shit's scary as shit, which fair enough. Honestly, this Dr. Mambo is terrifying and I would be terrified just the same. Is it maybe this? Can I chime in? Really sure. Because I feel like maybe this is the best place for this. So they uh, uh, they had auditions for dogs for Dr. Mambo's uh, spot. And the very first dog that they brought in was too nice. It was like licking everyone and it was super happy and his tail was wagging all the time. Good boy. And so they literally had to cut that dog. So they brought in uh, the other dog whose name is Rock. And this dog was so aggressive that only the handler could be near him because he was so fucking aggressive that no other people could be like no one on set could even be near this dog. He was so fucking aggressive. So they you know were basically like a Labrador retriever to like a fucking killing machine <laughs> yeah. overnight in audition periods for this dog. You know, so there's a lot of stories about the fact that like the set also wasn't very safe. Um, the Joey who plays Jeff apparently got a lot of issues with like shit getting in his eyes during shooting. So like he was like, constantly in and out of the hospital. So like a lot of the filming was done at like midnight and later and then like all the other people would have theirs have to be shot during the day because he was just like in the hospital there's there, look times have changed guys uh we learned this during the kieran interview that apparently special effects especially were so fucking dangerous back in the day and like that's not how it goes anymore which 
pros and cons there. Obviously, the one con is we don't get movies like Pieces where they use literal animal blood instead of fake blood because fuck it. Yeah. I don't know what to say. don't even use real blood anymore. What's I up mean, this that? was oh, yeah. so they knew what they were doing, and I think they did a good job. But Fair enough. Yeah. Well, Grimm ends up leaving due to the rain. He's going to come back with some weed. However, he doesn't come back with weed. Someone else does, though. And that's when we end up getting the return of the crazy homeless wood hermit man that Bert has shot. He's coming back. He is demanding for help, and he points Bert out and says, I know you. Bert slams the door in his face and goes, "Uh, yeah, guys, fuck this dude. He's crazy as shit, and he's sick as hell. Do not get near him. Do not get near him. The group argue inside the house of what to do with this crazy dude, and then they look out the window, and what is the old hermit doing? Vomiting blood everywhere inside of the group's car. So what does the group do? They want to take action, so they run out and then proceed to attempt to try to capture said crazy guy. Uh. And it doesn't really work too well. Bert puts like several bullet holes into the car. Uh, Jeff and Paul shatter a bunch of windows and Karen and Marcy just kind of stand around screaming into the abyss while havoc ensues. He ends up approaching Marcy, who breaks out a hairspray canister. Why? I don't know why you would use that as a weapon. Doesn't seem very smart. Uh, as we find out, guess what? Not that smart because Ryder Strong takes his torch, waves it in his face, ends up setting the fucking dude on fire. Guy runs off in the woods and we think he's gone. And technically he is, but shit has just gotten so much worse for everyone. All they know is that they just lit a guy on fire and he ran off into the darkness. Yeah. I don't know if it's but one of my favorite quotes is like, he asked us for help and we lit him on fire. It's like (laughs) one of my favorite quotes this whole movie. So it's at this point the group goes back inside. They all go lay down for the night trying to think of what to do next. The next morning they wake up. Here comes just a bunch of shit happening all over the fucking place. Everyone's screaming at the table. Everyone's yelling. Karen is like, I'm done. I want to fucking leave. Ryder Strong goes, grabs a glass of water with chunks of shit floating in it. How no one noticed that. I don't know. Karen slurps it all back. Bert and Jeff, on the other hand, decide, hey, Paul over here, good old Ryder Strong, little bitch boy, (laughs) you are useless. Stay back with the girls. The two of us are going to go head off. We're going to find help. We're man. So they go off and they trek through the woods. They end up finding a house with a lady who's butchering a pig that is definitely infected with something disgusting. Such a great setup. She screams and yells about the pig and then realizes these guys don't really need belong there. So she changes her tune, gives the old Southern yokel shit. And was like, oh, let me help you guys out. And they're like, all right. And then the guys are like, oh, we need help. Some, some crazy dude from the woods came in and attacked us last night. And we need a tow truck because he fucked up our car. She's like, oh, it can't be Henry. Hmm. It can't be my cousin Henry, the hermit who lives in the woods. He's such a nice guy. They then see a picture of... Uh, old Henry sitting on the counter and decide, you know what? Maybe we don't need help from her after all. She's going to get some fresh air. Now, Marcy, she takes a canoe and goes trekking off across the lake. And then here comes up the party man himself to the cabin. 
Deputy Winston. Party man. And it's a party man. Party man. Before, hold on, before you move forward, really quick, I looked this up. Christine Renee Ward is who played the lady that killed the pig. And like, she did such a fucking good job. Yeah, she brings it. She just fucking brings it. That's she it. I just wanted it. to say that. She was so good. Also, Marcy's ass has its own theme music as she walked by. But yeah, that's true. She killed that. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. So we get introduced, like I said, to Deputy Winston. Now, Deputy Winston, he is a party dude, man. Let me tell you, I know about all the good parties. It looks like you guys were out here partying hard last night. There's blood all in your car, but that's all right, dog, because you guys got beer, and I like to party. That's Deputy Winston. So It's like a backwoods West Virginia Matthew McConaughey with a badge. He is yes. legitimately one of the best characters ever written. God bless Giuseppe. God bless this role. Fun fact, that role was actually going to originally be played by Eli Roth. And then the actor who plays Winston shows up to audition, absolutely crushes it. Now, uh, the actor who plays him is actually in Detroit Rock City. Just uh, With, guess what? Our homeboy, good old Bert. Bert. Um, so Winston essentially tells everybody, like, hey, guys, like, don't worry, man. I'm all about that parties and shit. I'm going to make a report, but I don't want to ruin your parties. And then he asks about ladies. And then he sees Karen. And then he gets a fucking chubby. All right, like, all, all right, right, all right. All right, all right, all right, brother. And so here we go. He also mentioned something about five pounds of dangling meat. <laughs> Which um, would hurt so bad and is not realistic. I think that if you have five pounds of dick, go to a doctor. What the fuck? Yeah, you've got, you've got a problem. You look like you have, or something. Like, you, something is wrong. Most dicks are measured in the metric system anyway. How many grams is that? Like, be, yeah. be clear. I think at that point, you got a lot of fluid around there, and it's probably really difficult to piss. Also, you might have gonorrhea. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good at that point. So, <laughs> go to the doctor. <laughs> Bert and Jeff show back up, and basically are like, hey, we couldn't find any help. Um... So let's uh, go ahead and try to get this car cleaned up. And then Bert's going to try to fix the car to get it running again. Winston said he's going to get a tow truck, but let's not trust this fucking loser because uh, he's an idiot, which he's an idiot. So what ends up happening is they get the car cleaned up and then out of the woods runs up Dr. Mambo. Dr. Mambo is like we said and established earlier on scary as fuck. So what they do, they decide put Jeff in the back of the car while Bert starts working on it and then shoot in the air. Anytime the dog comes up because that's bad. Karen is sleeping and is off in the middle of nowhere. And then good old Ryder strong goes to bring her some more water. So he walks in, he goes, brings her a cup, sees that she's laying there asleep, climbs in next to her. Now we start to realize maybe Ryder strong, not such a great person. Okay. Mm. Cause uh, what's the first thing he does? He's got a sick, Sleeping Karen decides to stick his hand, decides to stick his hand down under the covers. And we all kind of, you know, imagine what's happening. This goes on for a few seconds until he pulls his hand back up and it is covered in red, goopy, pussy shit. This is where I must interject. So, uh, the composer for this movie wrote a song for this moment. And this song is called Finger Bang Misfire. Could not be more aptly named. Ever listen to this episode. 
just the fact that that song is called that the beautifully composed song that's playing over the background while mm -hmm. he's fingering her, her what you would not expect turns out to be her thigh that is like currently infected terrible uh, it's amazing yeah it's definitely definitely misfire definitely Ter terrible misfire. Misfire. so the whole group runs in they're screaming and freaking the fuck out karen screaming freaking the fuck out her skin is falling off her body everyone's losing their fucking she's screaming kid. for bert by the way like she yeah, wants why? bert to be the one to save her i still don't understand other than to say like we did earlier he always seems to be the voice of reason but she is yelling for bert yeah. to save her he well her. bert also being the voice of reason decides at this point would be a great idea just to go lock her ass in the shed because get the, her the fuck away from all of us she is infected which honestly look we've all gone through COVID at this point not a terrible decision let's just be honest i look it's callous i get it it's callous but like also fantastic decision just to go lock her in a fucking shed i love the way they do okay. it though the way they set it up they so you hear some of that discussion but it's not lengthy and then you're not like oh they determined that this is what they're going to do right no they just leave the cabin in a steady shot from a cam outside showing the door leaving the cabin and they all come out really slowly really quietly carrying a mattress they stop 10 paces from the door turn around and karen is now following behind wrapped in a blanket at a distance it's so well told for the story it's brilliant it's absolutely phenomenal how they shoot that how do how they tell you that's what the decision was made you know it's, what's a, it literally a, is what i wrote in my notes was i called it the dark parade because mm, I feel like is. that's Love exactly it. what it is. Here's Love the it. thing. There is something here. And this is what I kind of like. The idea of the whole arrogant bastard is all. Anytime we see that box, Jeff is on screen. Now, it yeah. is kind of worth pointing out that this whole time, I don't think we mentioned it, but Bert and Jeff have only been drinking beer. They have a competition going where they will only drink beer the entire time they're on the camping trip, which is very, very, very important. Which definitely should have mentioned earlier on, but fuck it, whatever. Here's the thing, though. The blanket that Karen is wrapped in is actually the same pattern and print of the medical gowns that you would get in the hospital. Hmm. Think about it. Didn't know that either. Think about it. Big brain shit going on over at Eli Ross noggin. And that's a big head. He's got a big oh, fucking man. head. Okay. It does, okay. Whereas like size 20. But I'm talking about yeah, ego. Yeah, at this that point, beautiful but... man. Eli Ross. We're sorry. We love big, big old head. All right. So they go and they lock Karen up in the shed. Paul says, or Ryder Strong, fucking cares what his name is at this point. He's like, hey man, guys, she is needs to go to the hospital ASAP. No questions asked. She has to go to the hospital. So he fucking hightails it out in the woods, goes and finds a house, peeks his eyes into the window, and he sees a hey, lady. A naked lady How's the peeping? laying around. He's just looking at her gawking, right? How's I'm starting to realize like, okay, maybe Bert's not the pervert. Maybe it's Ryder Strong. Maybe this man should never have been on a kid's show. Just saying. Just saying. Really quick, there's a part before that where he's like out there by himself and he hears something rustling in the woods. And it just <laughs> goes, ah, ah, <laughs> ah, which seems weird. But at the same time, when I watch it, I feel like, it almost seems realistic. I feel like it's yeah, a very yeah. most people would do of being lost in the woods by yourself at night and hearing something rustling in the background. 
Yeah, well, I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I love the outdoors. Oh god! And when you hear something out in the woods, yeah, you don't. Your first instinct isn't to yell and scream as loud as you can. It's just to test the waters, as it were. You go I train before I go out too. Good, good. Guy's got that lung capacity. I think that at least he's got lung capacity for something. So he's peeping through the window. Well, guess what? Lady's husband walks out with a shotgun and basically tells him if he doesn't leave the property immediately, he will get his head blown clean off. So Ryder Strong does a smart thing, takes off fucking running. Fair enough. Comes back, says, hey, guess what? Because I didn't find anybody. Why no one admits anything in this film? It's kind of bizarre to me, but whatever. It's fine. It's fine. So here we go. Marcy... Make some food. Everyone's like, fuck you. Anyone else can be chili. Yeah, it's, well, I love chili. Everybody knows that. And hot dogs. Chili dogs, best food in the fucking world. Regardless. Either way, everyone starts taking their clothes off to show to see if they're infected. Looks like, as of right now, everyone in the group seems clean. Seems clean. Then Bert sits down, grabs a glass of water, takes a sip. Ryder Strong points out, you lost the bet, bud. We know what that means. We know what that means. So Jeff and Bert start fighting. Everything goes crazy. And then you hear the dog. She's trying to break into the shed to get to Karen. So they run out, shoot the gun. Dog runs off in the woods. They check in on Karen. She's unresponsive in the Sorry, shed. Karen. Sorry, Bond. Sorry. Next morning, Bert gets the car running. So they all go and they grab Karen. Well, unfortunately, Karen is literally rotting at this point. Almost yeah. all of the skin on her body is just mush and it's gross. Bert runs to go grab the car with the others, try to figure out a way to get Karen to the car. And once he gets to the car, he starts coughing up blood. <laughs> he unzips his pants and guess what? His groinal region is also starting to turn a color that uh, should be the first step in going to the doctor. How was that the first place he checked once he coughed up blood? Well, I mean, Karen also was uh, true, true. So yeah. you know, I think you just check your check your junk. Make sure you still have your penis intact. It it's like it almost like I really feel like this is asking like some homage to the the fly when Jeff Goldblum uh, his balls fall off and he puts yeah. them in a jar. <laughs> always awesome. check your junk first. I, yeah, I think always, that's reality too. I think that's the yeah, first place right, most men important. would check. I, yeah, I think I you check your blood. Junk. I'm immediately going to check my nutsack. Yeah, check your dick and balls. See if they've fallen off yet. If they have, you're probably just going to end your life. I'm sorry. I'm just going to be the one to say it. I'm going to be the one to say it. If your dick falls off, you, what, what good do you have left? Might as well. Might as well. Might as fucking well. So they put Karen in the car, and then she starts vomiting up blood. Jeff realizes this is uh, his car, and he's not happy, and is like, get that bitch out of my car. We're not fucking doing this shit anymore. Bert's like, fuck you guys. I'm going into town to get help. I do not care if and he's sick. He knows what's going on. No one else realizes that he's fucked up. But he's like, look, I'm going into town. I'm getting help. There's just nothing we're going to do about it. Back inside, Jeff takes all of the beer, yells at Paul and Marcy and tells them, go get fucked. I'm not getting around you guys. You touched Karen. She's infected and disgusting. I'm not doing this. This piece of shit just hightails it, which honestly, like, I say piece of shit, but Truth be told, like he honestly makes the right choice here to just grab all the beer and fuck off. Got a case of arrogant bastard and nothing to do. Yeah, he made the right choice. Just go get drunk and piss somewhere. I don't know. So Bert drives into town. Case of arrogant bastard. Bert's Bert 
uh, he now creates a new phrase for the term redneck. And when I mean redneck, I mean his neck is literally pustule uh. and burst open, bleeding and oozing everywhere. So they all, he goes into town and then we lose him there. We cut back and we get uh, Ryder Strong and Marcy. Marcy then monologues about being on a crashing plane and needing to fuck. So here's the thing. The audition scene for, uh, I think her name is Katrina or something like that, the actress, Marcy. The audition scene was actually this monologue. And it's the notorious, it's like being on a plane scene, right? In which Marcy compares her dire situation to being on a plane doomed to crash. And ultimately, you just want to grab who's ever closest to you and fuck them before you die. Now, this was an unfortunate choice on part of the producers. As all of the auditions took place on September 11th. <laughs> Awkward. And here's the thing. They tried to cancel the auditions because they were like, holy fuck, 9-11 has taken place. And the problem was, this is 2002, not everyone has cell phones, so they can't get in touch with anyone to tell them don't come into audition. So all these actresses just show up to the place, world's on fire, and then have to come in and do a monologue about a crashing plane. So, if this so ain't a, this is Eli Roth had some part to play in 9-11? Is that what you're getting at? What I'm saying is, is this is all Shrek's fault, and this isn't an SDC episode unless this gets brought up. Honestly, this is my second favorite movie, in, or my second favorite line in the movie, just because of how, like, bonkers and, like, how off-putting and out of place it is. So, there's a reason now knowing, Yeah, because I looked, I found that out as well afterwards. I was like, they didn't even know that, and yeah. it's still in there, and it's still so out of place. Well, here's the thing. It's not technically out of place. There's actually a bunch of deleted scenes that really set up the fact that, like, Ryder Strong's character, who's been trying to hook up with Karen the whole time, has realized this isn't going to work. I'm not going to get with Karen. And during this whole time, him and Marcy start to get closer and closer together. And Eli Roth has even said that if those deleted scenes were in the film, then what you would have seen was this dynamic between the two of like passion and aggression as things get more dire and more intense as their the group's dynamic starts to get more fucked. Uh, both of them start to become more passionate and more aggressive towards each other, which then culminates in this moment for this scene. So it actually ends up making sense just none of those scenes made it in the movie. I kind of love that it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like there's part of me that's just like this is so it's like uh, you know, like in Sharknado where she was like, Well, my grandpa got eaten by a shark, so I guess you can see why I'm so upset. Like it's just so like off putting and out of nowhere that it's like kind of perfect for trash cinema. Sure. So I'm there's not that backstory to be honest with you. Yeah, no, I like I love it. So either way, Marcy fucks Ryder Strong. It happens. And it's very uncomfortable watching on screen because you could tell neither one of them are like actually interested in doing this scene. There's a whole more backstory to like what brought to this is kind of an improvisational situation. There's a lot of moving parts here, but either way, they fuck. Paul goes in the bathroom, immediately takes a jug of Listerine out and pours it all over his dick, which fair enough. We've all been been there. We've all been there. We all made it through college. We and it's a scam. Also, that's why we have Listerine, guys. 
It's not it's for the only reason. It's the only reason. That's why you buy the big bottle too. Listerine is like a, it's like a male douching, you know. And there's a yellow bottle too, right? It wasn't even like a mint flavored Listerine. He bought he bought the antiseptic grandpa yellow piss colored Listerine. Well, if you take nothing else from this episode, is hashtag male douching. Male douching. <laughs> it's just a ball of Listerine you pour in your dick after unprotected sex with someone who you probably shouldn't have had sex with. Also during an infectious disease outbreak. Not a great idea. Anyway, Marcy goes to the, the mirror. She looks in the mirror. She takes her shirt off. And what do we see? Well, boobs. But we also see boobs. the fact that the handprints from Ryder Strong are now infected on her back, which is a really cool touch that I liked. Yeah. We cut to Bert, who is at the store from the beginning of the film. And he walks up and sees Dennis. Dennis is yelling about pancakes. Pancakes. And then he starts to do taekwondo. Pancakes. And then I he I do want to put something in here about hand. this as well. Yes. So uh, the kid who played Dennis, I should have written this down. I can't, I don't know his name, but Matthew Helms. Thank you. Uh. And he sent his audition tape to Eli Roth and included a bunch of like taekwondo. Well, he's a, so, he was a black belt. This kid yeah. was a black belt. Oh, <laughs> so Eli Roth only added this scene because of his talent. He just felt like it needed to be shown in person. And then if you watch the uh, the extras on it, you get like a full on Taekwondo experience from Matthew to the tune of Gay Bar by Electric Six. And it's fucking glorious. Everything about it is glorious. And Bravo. God bless him for doing so, that. So something else about that too. So you're right that Eli Roth was like, want to include this, give you like a special show, but it actually plays into this, this dynamic of like Bert is having like birds melting at this point. Like he's coughing up blood. His skin is falling off. He's fucked up. And he's like this fever dream of seeing Dennis performing Taekwondo is like so out of place to your point, very much trash cinema of having random shit like this just happening. It's kind of like in pieces where the random Bruce Lee impersonator shows up. It's so it's like this, but like for e the way Eli Roth kind of explains it is like the reason we included this in there, like this very important scene is because it's like, it's Bert's imagining that this kid can do Taekwondo because his brain is literally eating itself away. It's so um, which is great. Uh, so what happens is Dennis obviously bites the shit out of Bert, breaks blood. Apparently, Dennis can tell that this blood is no good. Starts screaming. So Dennis's dad, Tommy, runs out, tells him that this is some sick motherfucker. And uh, you just got it. If you make Dennis sick, then you you cause problems for me. If you cause problems for me, you cause problems for my wife, whatever. So he's I'm like, fuck. I, if you get my boy sick, it's the same as killing him. It's murder. It's yeah. like one of the best <laughs> Yeah. So uh, he basically gets all of his redneck boys with him. And they're like, the hey, posse. guys, there's some crazy sick kids up in the woods. And we're going to go kill them. So like, fair enough. So they take off following Paul. And start hightailing, or sorry, sorry, they start following Bert, hightailing down the street, shooting guns at him. Bert's losing his fucking mind. Pulls up, gets stuck, car shuts down. Bert's like, fuck, I gotta run. 
So the guys pull up behind him. They chase off through the woods. So at this point, we cut back over to Ryder Strong. And this guy's walking around. He's just, I don't know why he's walking on. I don't know what the fuck's happening with him anymore. I don't think he knows what the fuck's happening anymore with him. Either way, he stumbles up to a dam. And he finds the body of Henry, the dead, crazy, infected wood hermit. And so what hermit. does he do? He's like, let me go look at this dead body that's infecting the water supply of this town. So he's like, let me just crawl down this ladder and poke it with a stick. Poke it with a stick. Guess what? The dead that body. Ladder? Rule number one Ain't with the dead name. body. Yeah, poke, poke it with a stick. stick. Fair enough. This is a fucking where it's like we're in a, a more adult version of Stand By Me. Either way, Roger Strong tips over the ladder breaks. He falls into the water and falls right on top of that dead body. And I think at this point, we all know shit's not going to look good anymore for our homie over from Boy Meets World. Yeah. So, so this point, Bert, he's still running. He's still doing his shit. He uses the fact that his hands are now sloughing off to try to cause a diversion to buy himself some time by marking random trees and then runs back to the cabin. Again, really quick, want to call out that Bert is the comedic relief and supposed to be the dumbest man and he is continuously making the best decisions in this movie. Constantly. Like that that even is like something you know none of the other characters would have thought to do. Very true. Very true. So now we get to the point in the film. This is the number one scene. This is what I think most people remember if they've seen the film before. They normally remember pancakes. It's very, very pancakes. memorable scene. Everyone remembers the Taekwondo screaming pancakes. But the thing that most people have nightmares over is this scene in particular. And it's a scene with Marcy. She's in a bathtub. And we can see from her back that her back is now popping open sores and festering wounds. She's having a meltdown, which obviously I would too if I was in her position. And she Same starts to shave her legs. Mm. Which, here's the thing about this is I actually kind of like the idea that like they're trying to tell the story about like, Hey, this, like all this shit's going on. You go to the one, the things that are like things you do, your habits, your comfort things, things that you do in a normal basis. And for her shaving her legs. So she shaves her legs and in the process starts to shave off chunks of flesh falling off in goo. And you hear it. It's the sound you hear like that you hear the paper the, on dry skin. You, you hear the sh from like that the razor, but then you hear sh okay, this one fucking there's no shit. Way, there's no way you wouldn't notice, but the the cinematography of this moment, the like camera angle, the effects are wonderful, and the score is so good that you mm -hmm. cannot be mad at it. You want to know something crazy about this scene? So you, she has shaving cream on her legs. The reason she has shaving cream on her legs and it kind of hides, it's because it's hiding this like makeshift special effects they had to put together because the original prosthetic leg that they were going to use for the scene froze during the shipping process and became completely unusable. So they had to come up with this like on the spot special effects to pull this off. So the shaving cream, and honestly, it's even more terrifying with the shaving cream because it hides the goopy, gross leg. Because it's her real leg that she's doing. 
and it's disgusting as hell. But the reason is because of that. Now, here's another fun fact specifically about not just the scene, but the entire movie. So director Eli Roth originally got the idea for this film while working in Iceland on a horse farm. He got such a bad skin infection, which they believe to be impetigo, uh, from the rotting hay in the barn. And it was so bad that his face broke out in sores and bled. And he went to shave one day and it literally popped open an open wound and just burst out Ew. on his face. And it's look, it's a little backstory about me. I wrestled in high school and wrestling is a contact sport. There's a lot of sweat and it's very disgusting. And impetigo and staff is like very common in wrestling. You have to be incredibly clean all the time. I mean, a lot of the sports, this is an issue just because of sweat and buildup and shit like that. If you've never seen like a staph infection or impetigo, it is one of the grossest things you can ever do. So stop whatever you're doing right now. Google image search staph infection or impetigo. Uh, and honestly, the special effects in this movie look just like it. Uh, that is real. That's just like someone unreal. telling me to Google blue waffle, but I mean, um, do that too. If you don't know what that is, go ahead and do it. I don't give a fuck. But I don't, honestly, I don't care about your mental health. KMBFX fucking killed this. I knew this yeah. was obviously from an actual flesh eating bacteria that Eli Roth had, which is astounding. And they, they really did. They, they fucking killed that effect so they badly. Did. And this scene, the sound effects, are gripping so gross well are now covered in blood pustules and open sores version of marcy books ass out of the cabin and runs straight for the shed to go to karen on the way however dr mambo arrives and proceeds to rip marcy to absolute fucking shreds and pieces Jeff walks or Paul finally shows back up after having his little spell with a dead body out in the, in the water. He walks up, he sees just the desecrated corpse of Marcy and sees that there is a hole in the shed. He runs to it, opens it up and looks at Karen. Karen wakes up, looks at him and her entire face has been eaten away, showing nothing but eyes and teeth. However, she is still alive dr mambo comes back for some more and jeff rider strong grabs the gun and shoots dr mambo off screen he makes his way back to the shed picks up a shovel and proceeds to beat karen's head in covering himself in blood and guts in the process i wonder why he didn't use the shovel and just a quick jump on the neck like why he felt the need to get the aggression out but again it's I think that deterioration into that aggression. But. Well, I think that, you know, and that plays into those deleted scenes as well, is that he's becoming more and more aggressive as mm -hmm. the film goes on um, as well. Whereas Marcy becomes more and more sexualized as the film goes on as well. She becomes more naked, at least as the film goes on. Not the way I would have done it, but it's the right call. Put her out of her misery. She's yeah. clearly suffering. And the effects on her face are pristine. Amazing. Absolutely Marcy. terrifying gnarly and real practical effects as well yeah she yeah. was very method lad was so Birch, I, will say, mm -hmm. I will say really quick the remake had a pretty good uh kill scene of this but um okay so so far we've had two kills of our main characters right one marcy uh and then two karen karen was killed 
by Paul. Mm-hmm. Darcy was killed by, by Dr. Dr. Mambo. That's it. That's all I have to say. We'll get to a little bit more fun here in a minute with some more kills. How about that? Now, Bert shows back up. He tells Ryder Strong, hey, we got some crazy motherfuckers in the gas station, and they're coming to kill us. Grabs the gun. They go back inside. Townies show up, and they come in. And announce very loudly, these kids have been doing some sacrifices and being unchristian. Unchristian. Fucking love that line. So they kick the door in, and Bert is standing there and says some line I can't remember off the top of my head. And right before he can fire the rifle, gets his head blown clean off. Paul then jumps out, Roger Strong jumps out, smacks one of the dudes in the head with a shovel. He then stabs, or then he grabs the gun. Uh, he shoots and kills Dennis's dad. And then the big fat boy who's carrying a box in his hand, he stabs him in the ear with a screwdriver, killing him. Now, I want to bring up this box. Okay, so this is the, the guy's like, I'll grab my kid. This happens earlier on when they're like going to go chase him off. He grabs, he's just been carrying this box around. You know what's in the box? What's in the no box? Fucking idea. What's in apparently, the box? Apparently the box. Rifle. Apparently, apparently the box is actually in. It was uh, basically Eli Roth, who is friends with Quentin Tarantino. It was his version of essentially like a play on the infamous briefcase from Pulp Fiction. Uh, Eli Roth to this day has refused to say what indeed was inside the box that dude was carrying. So no one knows what was in the box. I thought it might have been I don't, their it's too small to be Gwyneth Paltrow's up. head. So I'm assuming, yeah, probably a ham sandwich. <laughs> He's a big boy. Anyway, Jeff goes running off screaming. It's or Paul goes running off screaming. Jeff, it's in the water. It's the water. It's the water. Don't drink the water. Don't drink the water. He finds a cave and he sees a flashlight in the cave. He runs into the cave. Guess what? He finds Eli Roth split in half. Apparently, he has crawled just his upper torso has crawled away from his lower body. And um, there's that. And uh, he literally had like snakes crawling on his face. And maggots in his ears. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was great. Awesome scene. So Bryce Strong finds the truck of the townies and then goes, drives off. He's driving down the highway and then hits a fucking deer. Deer goes through the windshield, engine dies in the truck. Roger Strong grabs his gun. He blows the deer out of the windshield, dousing him in fucking blood. Another just really fun. Didn't need to be there for any reason outside of that. The truck has to die for the upcoming scene to take place. And another animal death. We've seen a rabbit, a dog, a pig, and now a deer all lose their life at the hand of humans. Maybe it's not Hannibal Callhouse. Cannibal, uh, cannibal definitely not cannibal holocaust no like, Which, no, like if you want to if you want to hear what no. that this whole reference means go back to last week's episode where we actually talked about what cannibal holocaust is why it's terrible and why you should and shouldn't see it um here's a fun fact actually about the sequence while filming this particular scene writer sean decided to go for a walk in the woods between setups Covered head to toe in blood, he happened upon a group of 35 schoolgirls who were on a field trip. Here's the thing. The, where they shot the film was actually a Boy Scout camp. So these girls were on this field trip to this Boy Scout camp. Um, the girls screamed at the side of this blood-drenched hiker. He was like, hey, guys, it's uh, we're shooting a film. I'm, it's fine. This is the thing. The girls, though, 
realize who it is and realize it's the kid from fucking Boy Meets World. Oh, they then chase him through the woods. <laughs> Strong eventually makes it back to the set for the film and was like, "All right, guys, I'm I'm not I'm never walking off set again." So that's amazing. I wanted to meet Topanga that bad. Apparently so. Now we cut to a group and it's just a bunch of people we've never seen yet in the film. And they're all sitting around. They got a bunch of cars and shit. They're all sitting around. They're drinking. They're smoking. And guess who's there? Playing harmonica. Playing harmonica. Guess who's there? It's our boy, Deputy Winston. And Ryder Strong walks up covered in blood. It's at this point, he's trying to tell him, he's like, hey, man, I, can you please take me to a hospital? Please, I need to go to a hospital. I'm not feeling well. Debbie Winston's like, hey, party man, man. We're, just, we're just having a party, bro. Just having a party. party man. So at this point, police chief comes over the radio and says, there are a group of children or a group of kids, college kids up in the woods on a killing spree. They are all infected with a flesh eating bacteria. And if you see them, kill them on sight. All of the party members of this group, one actually called in the credits. His name is just Sir Chugs a lot, which I fucking love that name. I would fucking kill to have that as a credit in the movie one day. Um, they all look around and they're like, oh, no, but motherfucker, kill him. Because he, Ryder Strong's coughing up blood. Everything's fucking crazy. So dude with the guitar gets up, goes to hit him. At the same time, he hits the dude with the harmonica, which the guy swallows the harmonica. Essentially, is that not the best? Do I? No, is that not the best? That's oh, like no. Oh, I love this scene because what ends up happening is is we end up, uh, Paul ends up knocking out Winston. He hits him in the back of the head. And then the harmonica guy falls over and you just, you hear him breathing and you can see in his neck, the harmonica like protruding out horizontally through his neck. And every breath is just like, sounds like blues traveler. <laughs> Just fucking, and if you know that reference, guess what? You're old as dirt. Yeah, yeah. So, that means you saw this movie when it came out. Yeah, Brian, thank you, John Popper. Ryder Strong books ass back to the road, and he's almost hit by an 18 wheeler, which ends up stopping him and picking him up. The 18 wheeler drops Ryder Strong off at the hospital steps. He wakes up to be gurneyed through the hospital, which leads to scene number two. This is the one scene, the leg scene, nightmare feel sure. This scene actually gave me legitimate nightmares as a kid. And that is that Paul sees the Easter bunny in a room. Now it's a blink and you miss a moment. Everyone that's seen this film probably remembers the Easter bunny, but you probably don't remember everything else happening in that particular scene with the bunny because it is so quick and you're not really paying attention to everything else. The person in the bed is Dennis, the pancakes kid and the Easter bunny is feeding him pancakes. No way. I feel yes. like the scene is like very reminiscent of like The Shining with like the dog. So here's the thing. thing right? Here's the thing. The Easter Bunny, that whole costume, at the very beginning of the film, Dennis sitting on the bench has a stuffed bunny with him. That is what all this shit is. Think about it. Love. Think about it. Think about Love. it. Look at it. Look at it. Eli Roth just being crazy. Love uh, always. Love we get some. We get some crazy flashbacks with Karen and all sorts of crazy shit going on. And he wakes back up in the hospital's bed with the doctors and, and the police chief standing over top of him. Cop tells him to start from the beginning. Well, Roger Strong just starts screaming, "Everyone's dead!" 
and uh, all this crazy shit. Doctors Horror tell, movie trope. Yeah, doctors tell the, the police chief, like, hey, man, we, we can't handle, like, we're not equipped to handle this. He needs to go to the larger hospital in the other county that can potentially handle this particular situation. So Cobb says, all right, we'll handle this. Well, we all know what that means if you're a cop, which is just means you're going to kill someone because that's all cops do. A-cab, motherfucker. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> so we cut to Winston, who is driving Ryder Strong. And we hear Strong in the back. He's coughing up blood. Winston's like, hey, brother, don't worry, man. I, I, got, I got a 40 if you need something or if you need some water, I can get some of that for you. Winston's dumb as dirt, all right? So at this point, Jeff, we cut to Jeff. He's crawling out of the bushes, and he's just full of beer bottles because it's all he's been doing for the last, like, God knows how long, just sitting in a bunch of bushes drinking beer, which has been me on a, a few Saturday nights, if you know what I mean. It's just, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> so Jeff walks back to the cabin to find a bloody mess. He sees Bert's headless body. He sees chunks of body parts everywhere, dead bodies everywhere, and starts screaming and yelling that he made it out he did it he fucking did it okay and you know what Hold you on. don't Hold do on. don't say that Hold on. Don't really say that. Quick. i want to say that first he goes they do this like flip thing where he's like oh my god oh my god they're all dead they're all dead and you make it they made it feel like he's really upset about it and then he's like but i fucking made it i made it and i feel like that was such a good flip so he starts screaming that he made it. He walks out of the cabin. And as you probably imagine, this motherfucker gets absolutely lit up. Pew, 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 All pew. the cops are standing around and they're just unloading every bullet, which once again is what cops do. Shoot first and really don't even ask questions at all, period. They just all empty they their clips questions. and then give like three extra pulls of the trigger each. You hear the ball. guns click one, two, three each time after they're out of bullets. Like they wanted to unload everything. It's one of my favorite moments audibly in a movie. So here's the thing. One of those, Sheriff, one of those deputies who kills Jeff, one of is Eli Ross' brother. All, all three Roths all three make Roths. it into the film. We did it. Roth now, here's the thing. Winston steps over. They start to take all the dead bodies. They're tossing them on a, on a pile, and they're burning all the bodies, which, honestly, that's actually pretty fair. That's what you technically should do. That's what they you know should have done during the plague instead of just dumping them in the rivers, and that's how the Black Death kind that's of spread. How we learned. Um, so, yeah, burn bodies, guys. If, if you got that, then you just got to fucking burn bodies. That's how burn you do bodies. it. So, you know, so they burn bodies. Now, Winston makes a very interesting comment here. He says, because all these buys have been pulled out, he goes, yeah, there's one more in the basement. Here's the mm -hmm. thing. There's not another one. There's no basement. This is a very sly, subtle reference to my favorite horror film, the motherfucking Evil Dead. We got one more thrown in. It's so what we, and we had a little bit of Raimi cam earlier, too. So at least two Evil Dead references. Oh, yeah. Did you guys know that apparently David Lynch was uh, supposed to produce this film? He ends up getting like a special, he getting like a, that, yeah. a special credit at some point. Well, we're not done quite yet, guys. We got just a little bit more. So just bear with us. Oh, we know. So, what ends up happening next is we end up cutting to the decomposing body of Ryder Strong that Winston has dumped into the fucking river, which feeds 
right into the reservoir. But not just right into the reservoir, right into the bucket of two children who've walked up because they're making lemonade. Lemonade that they're selling at the gas station. So we cut to the gas station at this point. The kids have their lemonade stand set up. The police chief comes in. We got the racist Santa Claus, or presumably racist Santa Claus. And they're sitting there talking and shooting shit. And then all of a sudden, here rolls up three black people. The music gets incredibly intense. They walk inside the store. We see the shop owner grab the gun and goes, Ain't it a beauty? It's been waiting on you all week. <laughs> the gun was for them. They are the owners of it was. the gun. He said it was. He said it was. And we end up getting this really terrible spin back around about how like these yokels out in this town weren't really racist. This guy and apparently he uses just the over. word again. He does. And they call him the, right back to him and they all have a good time. Here's the problem with that is um, everyone's drinking this infected lemonade. And then we see in the closing shots the water, a 18-wheeler that is some sort of spring fresh mountain water driving past. Roll motherfucking credits, guys. Mike Drop, Eli Roth, Gabriel Roth, Adam Roth. That was (laughs) all Roth. Now, here's the thing. We got one last bit of trivia before we round this out with the Savior Canon. And the last bit of trivia is in this entire film not a single person who was infected by the disease was actually killed by the disease so jackie go through go through the list how do they all die that was going to be my initial thing why i actually have this written down actually um so bert was killed by the store employees jeff was killed by the police the hermit was killed by the people that existed there Marcy was killed by a dog. Karen was killed by Paul. No one, no one in the movie outside of the hermit's dog, perhaps, we don't know what else happened to the hermit's dog. No one else was killed by the actual disease. Not one single person, which is why I love this movie so fucking much because I grew up watching Twilight Zone, right? And so, like, the whole idea of paranoia and making things worse by it is mm. is such a big thing to me and that's exactly what this movie embodies yeah. no one is killed by the disease and then to make it worse they just spread it further into who knows how far with their their lemonade and their water and their bottled water and that's this movie is fucking genius as far as i'm concerned well, yeah. i like i cannot I think that's a perfect segue into the final segment of the show, which is save it or can it. Would you save this film or would you can this film? Obviously, I think you kind of know how this is going to go. But we're going to start off with Jackie. Jackie, save it or can it? Spoiler alert. Take this film over most any films that exist. I think this film is absolute fucking perfection. I would change virtually nothing about it. I think it's glorious. I think it's underrated, and I think people do not look into it enough and really appreciate it for what it is. I love to hear it. Bennett, 
Save it a cannonballs. Easy answer. Save it. Save it a thousand times over. Bury a copy of it on the surface of the moon for future aliens to be able to watch. It's a brilliant uh, expose in how to do a horror movie. The score is magnificent. There's very little music in this at all, except for the very beginning and the very end. And But the score drives so much of this movie, um, whether or not it's got an applicable title, like Jackie is so apt to point out. But the score itself drives so much. The cinematography, it it builds unease, right? Again, we're not seeing a boogeyman or anything like that. Um, it's the water. And even before you figure that out, Eli does such an amazing job of building tension. The, the scene where the woman guts the pig, the way they walk around the corner and the pig expo is exposed being on a hook. You see a woman in a red flannel shirt running around and then all of a sudden she's literally gutting this pig. It's squealing. Um, the, the reversal, you know, you see a lot of these clip shots where they're kind of going in reverse. You see some things that haven't happened yet. You see a knife, a big, uh, Mike Myers style chef's knife sitting on the kitchen counter when they're all looking to, to armor up and it just, the camera is only on the knife and then all of a sudden somebody grabs it eventually, but it's never used in any of the scenes. So it's just more tension when the guy drops the, the, the bad word, right? And you get the music there. It just makes you feel uneasy. There's a lot of that um, that makes that builds that unease, that tension, the camera work, uh, the things that are said versus aren't, which I love when a movie does so well without being just expositionally dumping on you. And you get to learn who characters are and how things pan out. The story is told so well, regardless of the edits. It's just such a brilliant effort in true horror filmmaking. Hell yeah. Okay, so like, look. You guys saved it. I, I'm not. Uh, this is definitely. No, I'm kidding. This is <laughs> What's that restaurant? Shenanigans? Shenanigans? Uh, no, like guys, like I, like I've said, I think I said earlier on, like this was my favorite film when I was in middle school. Like it, this was probably one of the big ones. I would say like Cabin Fever and 28 Days Later were like two of the big movies. that like really got me into horror. And uh, I, I love this movie. I think Eli Roth, I, I don't know if I feel the same way that you guys do in terms of like everything else after for Eli Roth, like went downhill. I, I don't necessarily think that's true. Um, I, I think like, I, I, I think Hostel is fantastic. I, th I think I'd probably put yeah. Hostel and Cabin Fever together. It's like obviously like they're neck and neck for like my favorite Eli Roth film. But, like I feel like the, the, the movie's great. It's just full of like really good homages. It, it's at the same time, like, in the early 2000s, 2002 specifically, a lot of the movies we were getting in horror were trying to mimic stuff like Scream. Like they were trying to be more, more like Scream. Everyone wanted their own version of Scream. No one wanted to touch this movie. It ends up getting picked up by Lionsgate for like, I think it was made on like $1.5 million. And it ended up making, it was the, the highest grossing films Lionsgate released that year. It was one of like the, the highest, like, like uh, adjusted for inflation, like one of the highest, like net profits from a horror film in like the last, you know, 20 years. Like, it's crazy it's saying something. But the thing is, here's, I think, the problem with or not the problem. Here's, here's the problem with the with viewers, I think, is like, even though that's true, like cabin fever has like died off. Like people don't really talk about this movie anymore. Like they just. It's just not a movie that really comes up a lot. Like horror, avid horror fans are like, oh, Cabin Fever. But like no one really puts it up there with like the cult classics that we all know. And I think that's a real, that's a fucking shame. Like this movie rules. Like if I had one thing to say, like one knock against it, 
is some of it doesn't age super well. And that's specifically using certain phrases and terms. Like it just doesn't age well. Like if, if we were to, if I were to go back now, I get the joke set up with like the intro piece. Okay, and then the final. Like, yeah, but like it, you know, a couple of things don't age necessarily well in the way that we use certain words and phrases and stuff. And it's very, yeah. very early two thousands and things have changed. And that's what we say a lot with like trash cinema and a lot of movies. It's like, guys, you got to think like, a lot of this stuff isn't going to age super well just because of like times were different, whether it's right or whether it's wrong is beside the point it exists. And we either have to accept the fact that that exists, but it is a time capsule to be like, this is what the early two thousands was like in terms of like the way people would talk um, and the way they just flamboyantly would just say red like shit like that. Like that's just what happens. But I think if you can look past those few instances early in the movie, like you are in for a fucking roller coaster ride. It is very funny and i think that's what also people don't realize the movie is incredibly funny it is so fucking funny but also it has really good scares it's got incredible practical effects like you guys said the score is amazing this movie is a 100 save and i'm glad that we all were able to finally get together on episode 39 to do this i say episode 39 i think we're like at like almost 70 episodes in the stc at this point but you know what fuck it numbers mean nothing anymore and speaking of things that mean nothing, if you've enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and share the hell of your friends, loved ones, and worst of enemies. <sighs> Word of mouth is key here, and we aren't beggars. Also, fuck, fuck Keith. Keith. Fuck Keith. Yeah, fuck Keith, yeah, fuck guys. Keith. Fuck that guy. Fuck that John, guy. John, are you Dude, kidding seriously. me? That guy can just fuck right off. Fuck I guess. If you're interested in video games, check out our sister podcast, the Spotlight Games Podcast, and all of your favorite streaming services. We go live every Tuesday on Twitch at 8 p.m. Eastern, so join us live there. You can find us at Spotlight Games. Uh, also, the boys, Jeremiah and Patrick, they're also doing a bi-weekly show. We turn Spotlight TV to bi-weekly, uh, and they are covering Secession. So if you love shows about white people and billionaires, go listen to that show, or don't. Because that show fucking sucks. And I know I'm in the minority here when I say it. Just like every other person that's on that show that's not white. Which is 99.9% .9 of the characters on that show. The show fucking sucks. Whatever. Go listen to that. Give them a like, follow, subscribe, share, whatever. I don't give a shit. In the meantime, you can follow me at the Dumpster Boy. Bennett, um, we know that you have a Twitter account that you never use. So don't promote that. Promote all your other I stuff. I don't even know what Twitter is. Message me on Bologna Cheese at Twitter.universe and all up in it on the grams. Um, yeah, you can find me and all of my sister podcasts on the dark web. Oh, oh boy. Oh, boy. Now, Jackie, you are a tour guide in New Orleans. You do ghost tours. You also could probably just found puking in the gutter because that's just kind of what the other pastime besides drinking and ghost tours in New Orleans is, is just throwing up or pissing in the street. So why don't you tell people where they can follow you and all of that good shit? Well, Did sir, I, just... I can hold my liquor. I now mm. have a New Orleans liquor, so I'm now immune just automatically. Um, I would venture to say you can find me on Quarter Queen 13 on Instagram. I love it. And you can follow our sister podcast at the Spotlight Games Pod on Twitter, Spotlight Games Pod on Instagram, as well as Spotlight TV Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to follow Save Trash Cinema, obviously you fucking do. You can go to Save Trash Cinema on all socials. Uh, we're there. And remember, fight big box office. Save Trash Cinema.